training and welcome to another episode of Dog Talk. So today I want to talk about how we can help dogs that are fearful, that are timid and build confidence in them and make them better and happier, healthier beings mentally. So this is obviously something we do a lot. Um, it's one of um, probably 50% of my clients are dogs that have, have dogs with anxiety and fear of some sort. And we did a, a podcast before about understanding the fear and anxiety in dogs in general, how it goes on in the brain and some high-level ideas and concepts around it. But today I want to be a little bit more specific on how you can actually help a dog and the approach that we generally take. There's still details that you may need help with, but hopefully here are some ideas that you can try in, in some capacity and see if it makes a difference for your dog. So... The first thing to understand about when you deal with a fearful dog is it makes a big difference in how old the dog is when, the, when you start this process. So if you notice any kind of um, timidity or anxieties and fears in a very young dog, so even like eight weeks old, you may be looking at a fear phase. So maybe just a week where you just need to help the dog be be comfortable for a week and it just moves past, moves right through it. Or the dog is uh, four or five months old. Now you like, cannot, past four months, you cannot pass a certain developmental stage where you may be dealing with a more permanent um, fear issue. The dog is just generally not very secure. Uh, or you have an older dog, a couple of years old, where these things just kind of became more cemented and it's just kind of who the dog is now. So all of that changes a little bit how you go about it, right? If it ha if there's, and there could be events. So you could have a, a fear-producing event, something traumatizing happen to that dog at a very young age. If, it, if it's super early, it could potentially become imprinted. And, and then it may be very difficult to help this dog down the line. If there's traumatic event, I mean, attack from another dog, another animal, something dramatic happened, a person did, so like trauma can happen in these ways as well, just like it would happen with a human. And there are some things that you can do right in the aftermath, particularly, but I'll get, I'll get back to that and hope for the best in this case. But traumatic events can have also an impact on how fearful a dog is. But so the main, the main first thing to understand about when you have a fearful dog, there is a huge genetic component to that. And there's only so much you can do in terms of your genetics. So how much a confidence a dog ultimately will have, generally in life as a being, will be determined by the genetics. We can always make them better. Right? So if, if we put them in training and nobody has ever tried anything and the dog's kind of fearful, we can always build them up and bring them out of your shell and make them explore a little bit more and make them come around and they can sometimes go pretty far and dogs have surprised me sometimes how far they can go when they're coming with these fear um, these fear states but it, making them better is usually possible but if your dog is fearful and has always been fearful as long as you know him he's not going to become a social butterfly if he goes through a training process if that is the hope that's probably an unrealistic expectation so there are limits how far this can go. Yes, we can make them better. How far your dog will go depends on your dog, depends on his genetic limits. 
and I think I said this in another episode, I can learn how to play the piano, I will never be Beethoven or Mozart. Right? So there, there is limits on how far anything will go in terms of learning, in terms of building confidence and development and so forth. And when we build confidence in dogs, we just need to understand that that's going to be a limit we're going to run into and we're not going to know what that limit is until we start the process. So there is no way in the get-go to say, well, your dog will go this far. He will become 50% better or your dog will be 10% better. Impossible to know unless you start. So currently we actually have a dog in training who is probably in the top five or fearful cases I've seen in my dog training career. Interesting dog, very sweet dog. It's like just fearful of a lot of things, skittish around a lot of things. Anything that's unfamiliar, the dog is like putting the brakes on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> and it took us a long time, like seven weeks or so here, to get to a point where we see daily measurable progress. Before that, it was baby steps. It was getting better, and the dog was trying more and coming out more, exploring more, but it was a very, very slow baby step process, painstakingly slow. And then after seven weeks, it came to the point where finally, hey, every day it's a little bigger, bigger. So we gotten finally to the point where the increase in confidence went up more. And I, I asked the, the owners if I can keep the dog for another week because we're seeing this right now. The progress is so great. So I'd like to like, keep a little working on this a little bit more because it's a great, a great place to be right now. But this is kind of what we were hoping for a couple of weeks ago. And they said yes. So she gets to stay a little bit longer. And... We hope that the trajectory of confidence improvement will continue during this time. We don't know if it will, but we hope. So right now it looks like it may, based on what we're seeing. So that's a little bit of a background, so you have a realistic expectation on how far confidence building can take you. So we can always make them better. I've never seen a dog not becoming better. How much better? There's no way of knowing until you try. And trying, you should. However you go about it, you should absolutely try to make your dog to become as confident as they can possibly be. Because that will improve their quality of life. It will allow them to go more places, experience more things, go out more, have a better life overall. If you're a fearful person and just sitting in your apartment all day long and cowering at the sound of everything and just hiding in a corner, that's not a great life. Yeah, if you're at least able to go out and go to the store and maybe to the coffee shop every once in a while or talk to a couple of friends, your life quality will go up. So it's getting yourself to a place where you can experience as much as possible, knowing you're not going to go to Disneyland, knowing you're not going to be to a, going to a parade or a concert, because that's too much for you. At least you can do something. And it's the same with your dog. Let's try to give them as much um, freedom as we can improve their life as much as we can so they can have a richer experience about a quality of life. And that's what it ultimately comes down to. So building confidence in a dog, the whole point to me is to give this dog a better life quality by allowing them to be able to go more places and experience more things and just go out there more. If you can get a dog to the place where they can go hiking on the trail, I mean, that will improve their life quality drastically from just being at home and in the backyard. Right? So... Um, so that's kind of the reason why we always should try to take them as far as we can, but yet have realistic expectations. We won't know how far my dog will go, but let's try because it will have a better life. It will make them better beings. 
So, so a couple of principles that go into building confidence in dogs. So, first one is there is a successive approximation. Is one of the things that we that we use in this process. And successive approximation means <clears throat> I can't get my dog to do X, but maybe I can get him to do a little step towards X. So if X is the goal, but I can get him 0.1% closer to X, every time I try, I get a little bit closer, a little bit closer, a little bit closer, I'm making progress. And that's the path that this usually goes. In the beginning, it is very slow. And at some point, it's no longer the 0.1 step. It becomes a 1% step, and it becomes like a 5% step, and 10% step. And then <clears throat> the increases in, in my dog's ability to try things and challenge themselves go bigger and bigger and bigger, and it goes faster and faster and faster. But in the beginning, it's slower. And we have to just go step by step. Whatever your dog can do. So let's give me a more concrete example. So let's say um, I want to build some confidence, and I see my dog is challenged around a vacuum cleaner. He's afraid of the vacuum cleaner, let's just say. And that's even common with some dogs that generally have no other issues. It's just like they have the confidence in general, just the vacuum cleaner, cleaner skills the crap out of them for some reason. Um, and so successive approximation in this process would go something like this. Huh? And I bring the vacuum cleaner out, and I put it somewhere in the corner, stands there, it's not on, and I get my dog in the same room, and I have to have him on a leash, and I'll do something with my dog that my dog enjoys. So let's say my dog enjoys playing tug-of-war with me, or he enjoys playing fetch, or food games. At this point, it's not about what particular approach of training you use. Pick something your dog really loves doing. And in the play-based podcast, we talked about why we play. It's usually what we try to do, but let's say you play food games with your dog. You throw food around, and you give him food. Fine approach for something like that, too, if your dog responds to it. So now I would try to play with him and play my food game as far away from the vacuum cleaner as I have to go for him to be able to play. And then we're trying to get a little bit closer and closer and closer and closer. And let's say it's food, and we start throwing food around and then closer and closer to the vacuum cleaner. And at some point, he'd be a little hesitant. Well, that's a little, I don't know, there's that thing, the thing that scares me. And then maybe I'll move a little bit backwards. Or I coach him, hey, no, no, come, buddy, come, you can do it, you can do it, come, come, let's go, let's go together, I'll go with you. And I'll walk with him, maybe I'll hold him a little bit and be like, hey, see, see, there it is. And try to get him to, to work or eat the piece of food or get the ball or get the toy or get the tuck toy or whatever we're doing a little bit closer from the vacuum cleaner. And closer and closer and closer. And at some point through this process, he will be able to just get it from the vacuum cleaner and not care about the vacuum cleaner standing silently in the corner. But that is successive approximation. So I work my way up at whatever distance I need to start at and just go. I reduce the distance in this case. The next thing you may do is take the vacuum cleaner now and have them in the middle of the room. Not my dog's comfortable with the damping. It's still not on, but now it's in the middle of the room. And we do the same thing. And then maybe we turn it on for a second and then turn it back off. And then my dog will go, and then I'll try to get him back into it and play with him again. And then maybe I'll leave it on for a little bit longer. And then maybe try to leave it on the whole time I'm playing. Or maybe have it starting on before I even start playing or, or throw food, whatever I'm doing. 
So it's all about making my dog comfortable with the lowest level of disturbance per se my dog can handle in this moment and work my way up. And see, yeah, more, more, closer, closer, closer. And at some point, take the leash and stand next to the vacuum cleaner. Don't let him pull away. Wait a moment and turn it off and go do again the fun thing he enjoys. But we get him comfortable tolerating this thing that he's afraid of. You know? If it's a particular thing like that. So that is an approach that we sometimes take when it comes to specific things. Like a vacuum cleaner, a trash can, a ladder. It could be all kinds of things a dog's afraid of. Now, this is a specific item. I'll get to the more general fear of everything in a moment, but this is it's part of the journey right? when you have a specific item. And in this process, the other principle there is success begets success. So my dog learns that, no, I can do this. So there is like this understanding, no, I have ability. I can do stuff. I can actually do things. I can, I can accomplish something like that. I can overcome something like that. And that is psychologically very powerful. Now, we often build this up with play first. We try to play with the dog completely without any distractions and just get the game going that really builds them up per se, increases their confidence, allows us to challenge them, put up obstacles in the game, and, uh, uh, and make, build confidence completely outside the context of the scary things. So, again, successful approximation with something. Let's, let's take a game, I play fetch with my ball, I throw the ball, and the dog brings it back. Now, he's a little timid around certain things. So I may throw the ball, let's say I'm doing it outside, under some patio furniture. And then I coach my dog and help him to pick that up. Maybe I pull it out a little bit, maybe I just encourage him, we go there together, pick it up together. I show him a few times and then encourage him to do it himself. And show him, no, you can pick it up there, that's fine. Or it goes in the rose bushes, or it goes in the, on the grass, or it goes someplace next to a tree, something he may not want to go to right away. But now he wants to play a game that's interesting, that he enjoys. And he will be more willing to explore that because it's worth doing. So you try to expose your dog. You try to build it up in a way that he loves it. But then you try to expose him to more and more challenging scenarios under which to play and under which to uh, grab the toy from under something or out of something or the food out of an area he normally doesn't want to go under or an area he doesn't want to go into. And you coach him, meaning you point at it. You like encourage him verbally. No, let's go, buddy. Come, let's go together. Maybe take him by the leash and we'll go together there. And then point at it and pick it up and give it to him. Go back out and then throw it there again. Try again. Until he gets to the point where he's willing to do it himself. Um, we use Amazon boxes quite a bit or shopping, shipping boxes. So we put them on the ground and we throw some treats in there. and Or a toy in there. And, and the dog initially may not want to stick his head in this damn weird box. Right? But it won't take too long before the dog becomes more willing to like, oh, this is actually fun. There's some really high value treats in there. That's worth trying. I really want this ball. I want to play again. What's just in this box? Maybe I can take it. So you kind of encourage him to do these little steps and help him through it, help him accomplish it. But don't do it for him. So... Let's say I, I put a piece of like hot dog, like super valuable, into a box back in the end, and he doesn't want to go in. Right? The next step would not be to pick it up and give it to him. It would be, no, let's like move the hot dog piece a little bit closer, like maybe to the middle of the, the box, and then see if he sticks his head in now. That's easier. If not, well, maybe I put it to the front of the box, but it's still in the box, just at the corner now. 
and to have them eat a couple of pieces from there because now most dogs will do it. And then you push them a little bit further back. You can do it and then put one in the corner. And maybe you lay out a trail. So he eats and then he doesn't even realize he goes in there and like, oh, okay. Then he notices he, I can. And then it's no problem. I throw him in and he keeps him from, from every part of the box after a couple of days. Now I've shown my dog, no, you can. You have ability. You can do stuff. You're not helpless. You can actually accomplish things. It's the same principles we use with people. We're showing them, no, you, you, you have ability. You're not helpless here. You can actually accomplish something. So that's kind of um, a principle that's also used a lot. And it's, it, it works quite well if you just take your time. Don't get impatient. Don't, don't get frustrated. It can take weeks sometimes. It depends how fearful your dog is. But it'll work. Just stick with it. So um, I'm sure some of you are familiar with uh, Tony Robbins and uh, the things he does at his workshops for building confidence in people. And if it's, for example, the fear of public speaking. But one of the things he does at some of his, his seminars is the hot coal walking thing, where he has people walk barefoot over hot coals. That is, and they, they show you how to do it so you can get into it, right? But um, there, there's some tricks to that. But you have to still walk over the thing. So, I mean, generally speaking, if there's some hot coals, I think the smarter thing would be to walk around them. But that's just me. So, but <laughs> in, in, terms of, um, in terms of confidence, Building as, as a tool, overcoming an obstacle like that is kind of the idea. Right? You overcome a obstacle, and if you show yourself or confirm to yourself that you overcome a big obstacle like that, you become more confident in the process, and then you can overcome other obstacles, just like I described with the dog earlier. It's the same principle used for people as it is for dogs. You go to a psychologist with arachnophobia, fear of spiders. Um, They'll talk to you about spiders, and it's, if it's a therapeutic uh, appointment, at some point there's going to be probably a box on the table, and they'll tell you there's a spider in there. There may or may not be, right? or maybe a rubber spider. And at some point, I'll ask you to open it up and look at it, or, or stick your hand in there and have something on your hand. And maybe it's a real spider at some point. But it's about also showing you that no, you can, and you just build your way up to it. It's like yeah, you can, and again. Arachnophobia would be very specific, and there's there's better ways of going about that particular thing. But that's that is something that is sometimes done. It's just an example. I'm not saying that's a standard treatment for everybody with arachnophobia. I just know that some some people do that in therapy, because I met some people who went through this with therapists. But so that's a principle that's being used. You can overcome one thing, and then it will spread out. So in people. That doesn't work as well as it does in dogs, because for this to really work, and that's another principle that dogs absolutely have, and that works better for them than for us sometimes, is the generalization of this. Generalization means if I can do it in one context, I can do it in another. I can do it in this scenario, then I can do it in that scenario. So it generalizes out. Huh? Um, in dog training generalizations, well, my dog needs to sit. It doesn't matter where I stand. You have to sit when I stand here, when I stand there. It doesn't matter where you are. So I have to generalize it to different locations. So maybe you need to sit if I walk, walk and um, like um, sits in motion kind of thing. So you generalize the, the behavior, the command to different scenarios. And generalization in terms of confidence building is generalizing your ability to overcome obstacles out into other scenarios that may trouble you. 
if you have issues with. Now, with people, that only works if you're good at generalization. Some people are, and I don't know what the percentage is. I, my, my, I would be guessing maybe like 20, 30% of people generalize really well, while other people, or the majority of people probably don't, because most people I know don't generalize that well. That's personal perception. I have no idea what the real numbers are. So it's just like my personal experience, which is not uh, any kind of fact, right? It's just my personal experience. But so I, I'm assuming that most people don't generalize as well as dogs, based on what I've seen. But if you generalize well, if you personally overcome one thing and become good at another, you could be master the hot co-working thing, you could overcome the fear of public speaking potentially. If if you are a good generalizer, if everything that you do generalizes out quite nicely. And with some people it does. But if you don't, then you will become a hot co-working expert, but it will do absolutely nothing to make you a better public speaker or a more confident public speaker. You'll still be terrified of that because you didn't generalize that. You are just not a person that generalizes these kinds of things into these other realms. That's people. Dogs are expert generalizers. They pretty much generalize everything in some way, and that often works against us. And so they will make, they will form association and generalize things that have nothing to do with one another, just because of who they are. They are very good at generalizing. They're they're way better, or it's not better or worse. It's just like they are way more general. They're better. They're more efficient generalizers. Let me put it that way. They generalize more things than people. And that can work against us in training. That can work against us with dogs that get scared of something. Um, a, a dog may become afraid of men with beards and sunglasses if one walks by while he gets spooked by a broom falling on a trash can. He gets startled. He sees that and he thinks that that was that. That person caused it. Now he's afraid of this man. And then later when somebody has him in his home and he sees him react to a man with beard and sunglasses, they say he was beaten by a man with a beard and sunglasses. Um, maybe not, right? Maybe he just like was exposed to something that was a little scary while someone walked by. So entirely possible. So dogs generalize very well. And that's why the approaches I described work very well. So we can build confidence outside the context of what my dog is afraid of before we even go back to that at all. So I said earlier with a vacuum cleaner, right? we, we play or play food games or whatever closer to it. That would be a very direct approach to the vacuum cleaner. But if my dog is not just afraid of vacuum cleaners but all kinds of things, that's not feasible. I can't do it with everything. Right? And even with a vacuum cleaner, I wouldn't necessarily start with a vacuum cleaner. I will play with the dog and build a good dynamic and put up obstacles in that game that my dog has to overcome. So when we talk about the aspects of play, which is searching, stalking, chasing, fighting, celebration, and consumption, the fighting part is the part of overcoming obstacles. And it's the part of the hunting sequence where the thing that you caught is fighting back. As you catch the rabbit, the rabbit's trying to claw its way out of it. It's not just going to give up unless you have a kill bite right away and the rabbit's alive, it's trying to fight its way out of your mouth. So overcoming that obstacle and not giving up in light of that, that thing you have to deal with now that's trying to get away from you is the fighting aspect of the hunting sequence. And that fighting part is overcoming obstacles. That's what it's about. Overcoming an obstacle, perseverance in face of resistance. 
And that can be done completely outside the context of the thing we're trying to go after. So if I play the game and I mentioned I throw the ball under a bush or under a table or under in a box or something in a place where my dog is hesitant and I coach him to accomplish it and get it and do it anyways and I get him to become more confident with this particular thing, it will absolutely affect other parts of his life. So they will generalize their higher level of confidence, their understanding now, man, I can do stuff, I can do things, I have ability. I'm not this fragile thing that I thought I was. I can actually accomplish stuff. It will transition out into other areas. They become more exploratory. They become more willing to give it a chance and try more things and go after more things. And yes, it's a slow process, but it absolutely works. I've seen it, I don't know how many hundreds of times I've seen this. This is how it goes. It starts off super slow. You do it completely outside the context of the problem. You get to a good solid level of confidence in this new thing. And then you try other things. And we make it harder and harder and harder. And then you try more things. And then after you've accomplished a good amount of that and your dog seems to be overall more like interested and willing to, to give it a try, go back to the things that are more scary. So maybe now you can accomplish those. And maybe the first time it still doesn't work, but you'll probably see him, he can tolerate it longer, or if the reaction is lesser, or you almost can get him out of it. So you'll see some progress in that regard, and you work from there. So we take another step back, another step forward, another step back, smaller step back, another step forward. So it goes back and forth, and your dog will become as confident in this process as your dog can become. As I said, there, there's going to be a limit, and the limit is his genetics or her genetics. So your dog will be able to go as far as their genetics allow. Whatever that limit is, you don't know until you try. And I've never seen it not work. And I've been doing this for 18 years, and I've never seen it not work. It always works. The question is, how far will the dog go? Some dogs went less far than I thought. Some dogs went way further than I thought. Some dogs, it took, takes longer sometimes than you want it to, but as long as you're moving towards better improvement, as long as it's getting better in some way, you can do it longer, reacts lesser, it's not as intense, it's whatever, whatever the improvement looks like. It's not just today it's there, tomorrow it's not. That's not how it goes with dogs, that's not how it goes with people. You get better gradually in some way, shape, or form. As long as you're seeing some improvement, However little it is, you know you're on the right track. Don't give up. Keep going. Stay consistent. Stay on it. So you build confidence by putting up bigger and bigger obstacles and help your dog overcome them. Don't let them fail. Letting them fail would be a really big problem. You, whatever obstacle you put up, if your dog absolutely cannot do that, you help him by making it as easy as you can make it, but he still... You ask him to do something of it, just something of it, even if it's not the whole thing. That doesn't matter, but you got to do something of it. I'll move it closer, bring it back out, make it easier, help you, be there with you. Maybe I'll just like put it right there where you can grab it, but I'll coach you through it. I'll be your coach. I don't do it for you. You got to overcome something and build on that and build on it and build on it and build on it. Your dog will get better. And we do this a lot. And sometimes you have to experiment and People have tried these kinds of things and they just didn't get far enough. They needed help and that's what we're here for. 
we do this obviously professionally, so we'll, we'll have other ideas that you may not have. But this, this is something you can try. You can always try that first. Build confidence by helping overcome something and see how it translate, translates out. Some things will be valuable in that regard. Others may result in lesser outcomes. But you don't know until you try. That's the key thing. Try to help your dog overcome something. And the main, the main mistake, that's a mistake, uh, the main mistake that I've generally seen that most people take is they feel sorry that your dog is this fearful being and they just let it be. They just, you don't want to go here, then let's not go. You don't like this, let's not do it. They just avoid everything. And if you never challenge anyone to be better, they won't get better. They, they will be stagnant and stay where they are and they won't improve. If you push them, they can improve. You just can't overwhelm them. Always challenge your dog. Never overwhelm them. Because that will set you back. So you have to kind of learn how to slightly nudge them. Now you can do this one. You can do this one. I know you can. You can. Come on. Come on. Come on. You do it. You can do it. You can do it. Um, without pushing it too far where you just like scare them. And it becomes worse and you have to rebuild from there. Because that will take even longer. Yeah, now I have to like um, mess up. And it happens. It happens to all of us. It happens to me sometimes. You think a dog can do it and then it was too much and... Or you're in a session and then something happens that you can't control, right? A loud car exhaust, it's like big bang somewhere in the distance, the dog gets spooked while you're doing something, and like, oh, darn. <laughs> or um, it, there's all kinds of things you can control, and sometimes you just make a mistake inadvertently, and it happens, and you just rebuild from there. Don't get discouraged. Just like always keep pushing. Make him, make him overcome something. And as long as you keep seeing some progress, you're on the right track. And at some point, you can push a little bit more, push a little bit more, push a little bit more. Um, that, that's how you generally accomplish that outcome. That's how it goes. And again, how far your dog goes, who knows? Nobody can tell you until you try. But that's the way. So one other thing I mentioned earlier, I'm going to touch on real quick. So let's say you have a traumatic event. Um, your dog is attacked out of the street by walking him or dog fight happens. I mean, that's all kinds of things. Um, that can happen in life. Some shouldn't happen because other people were irresponsible with their dogs, but stuff happens, you know. It's, um, when I go take dogs in the neighborhood, I usually have something on me to deal with a loose dog that would attack a dog I have with me. So let it. there's all kinds of options. I'm not going into this too much here, but um, there are things you can carry that are perfectly legal to have, like stun sticks or bear spray or stuff like that, right, um, that you can repel a dog with that will not cause any permanent damage to anybody, but just like gives you a chance to deal with a, with a potential attack. But so let's say your dog was attacked by a dog and there is a high likelihood that your dog will become fear aggressive towards other dogs as a result. It's a very common thing. I've seen this many times. But if it's from an event like that, you can also help them to come back out of it if that didn't exist prior to this event. So most of the time you can. It's not always the case, but most of the time you can get your dog back to a better, better baseline around other dogs. And even if it's just like don't don't blow up at them. If, even if it's just getting him back to that stage where you just now you can't act aggressively just because you see a dog, um, even though he may no longer want to play with other dogs or what that 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 part you 
hard to influence. If your dog was very social and played with dogs and now he becomes really dog aggressive, he may not go back to playing with dogs, but at least he can get him back to no longer trying to attack him. You know? But so let's say something has happened, whatever it was. Obviously, if there's an injury to attend to that is critical, urgent, your dog's bleeding profusely, you have to address that immediately, go to the vet, whatever, turn a kid on, and whatever. If it's an emergency like that, you can't do what I'm going to suggest next. But let's say it was a, just a bite wound, and your dog's generally fine. Yes, you got to go to the vet. Yes, it needs to be addressed, but he didn't hit an arterial vein. It's not bleeding like crazy. It's just a flesh wound. And you have a, you have like an, a bit of time. You can like spend 10 minutes before you head out to the vet. The best thing you can do right after um, a traumatic event is to help your dog move on from that. Get his mind off it. Bring the favorite toy out. Encourage him to play. Bring his favorite treats out. Feed him something. Throw the treats around. Make him run after that. Get an activity going that gets him in a completely different state of mind. Help him immediately. Like, no, no, let's do something fun. Try to encourage them to, to do something that completely snaps their mind out of what just happened. Because if you can, there's a good chance you can prevent the long trauma. Um, however, what most people do is they get, oh my God, what happened? They become themselves very emotionally, let's call it unstable in that moment because they're worried and concerned just like we would be if our child is injured or partner's injured. I would like immediately, oh my God, want to help. And our mental anguish about this situation makes it worse for the dog. There's been scenarios where the attack and the wound itself wasn't even the main thing. It was the reaction of the owner afterwards that caused the trauma for the dog. Now the dog was terrified because, oh my God, my owner is going to really lose it if this happens. So if I see another dog, I just must, this must not be good, right? Even if the attack itself wasn't the most traumatic thing for the dog. But it usually is. And this is a psychological aspect, not the physical wound. But if you can engage in an activity right after a traumatic event that helps your dog come out of that and get him to chase a ball, tug a little bit, and just like a couple of minutes, like five minutes, ten minutes, and then go to the vet, it would be the best possible thing to do. It can help repair the damage or prevent the damage that psychologically otherwise could be imprinted in the moment, imprinted, but could be manifest in this moment. I hope that makes sense. So like immediately after, try to play with your dog in some way, have a fun interaction, do something good, get his mind off it, and engage him in a, in a, in a good way that he can or she can um, forget about that. And yeah, so that, that's the other thing. And one thing that I forgot to say earlier with the food, when you do the, the throw food around, having higher value food can also be an effective item, uh, an effective component of the strategy. So let's say you already give your dog high quality treats. Let's say freeze-dried liver is something, high quality treat. And your dog has it in training, it's familiar with it, loves it. So if you now want to help your dog overcoming confidence, maybe he won't do it for freeze-dried liver because it's always available. He doesn't really have to overcome the obstacle because he knows, hey, you're giving me that later when we have some other training sessions, I don't really have to push myself. If you now come with freeze-dried rabbit or freeze-dried venison or freeze-dried lung or something like that, something he's never had before or fresh hot dogs cut up or cooked chicken or something like that, right? Or if you're feeding raw, even like raw meat, hot dogs, or not hot dogs or like ground beef or something like that, we've done that too. If your dog is a raw, a raw food eater per se, you can come up with additional raw meat 
things that I normally don't have. So you add the, the value of the item goes up, that also helps. I can, it make the dog wanna maybe explore it more, or push a little bit more than they otherwise would. So if you just come with the same treats you always use, that may not work as well as a higher food item. And as I said earlier, I try it with play usually, so it's not that I'm resorting to food um, all the time. But with fearful dogs, food is often a starting point. You just get them out, throw the food around a little bit, play like your treat chase game, and get them chasing after something they can eat that is of high value, higher value than they're normally used to. So it's novel. And novelty is a component that can play a big part of helping a dog or being, being the dog willing to Hey, what is that? That smells terrific. I this is scary, but man, maybe that's worth exploring, kind of thing, right? Um, I never had that before. It smells really good. Hmm, this is a box. I don't know about this, but man, this smells good. So I think I think I'll try. He's helping me. Okay, am I? Uh, I think I can do this one. So <laughs> it's that kind of like how this goes, right? I can try to um, increase the value of what we're offering. That will make him wanna apply himself a little bit more trying to get to it. So it's, it's also a strategy that's helpful. So I forgot to mention that earlier when I mentioned food in the box kind of thing, hot dogs in the box. But yeah, so those are a couple of things, a couple of strategies um, and the general principles of how we do it when we do it here. And we'll, we'll try all kinds of things. I mean, play is the first level and then we go from there and see what else we can build and what we can push and how far we can go. And, it's a, it's a balancing act because you can't overwhelm them. They will set you back and you have to rebuild. But it's it always works if, you just, if you're just patient. Patient and steady and keep pushing just a little bit, just a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more until my dog is willing to explore bigger and bigger obstacles and overcome bigger and bigger challenges. So that's the general approach, general principles. A um, couple of concrete examples on how we go about it when we do it here. And yeah, if you have a fearful dog, it's worth trying and seeing where it takes you. And if you can accomplish it yourself, no shame in that, you're not a professional. And hire a dog trainer who is good at that. So happy to help. Yeah, we do virtual sessions as well. It can actually be great to work virtually with a fearful dog because you can work remotely in, in an environment he's super comfortable in. So we do actually a good amount of virtual trainings this way. And it can be a great starting point, even if you end up working in person at some point. But having the dog in a comfortable home environment and try these things, a big, a diff, big difference with the public park, by the way. Right? So, Okay, I hope that was helpful and uh, you got something out of it. And I'll see you next time. Bye.